Welcome to Just Jesus and this is lesson seven and today's subject and lesson is forgiveness in Christ. Forgiveness in Christ. Hallelujah. This is going to be a great subject. It's a big subject. It bothers a lot of Christians and we're going to learn what Jesus Christ did with our sins. Praise the Lord. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask now that you would kind of enlighten our understanding, that we may understand what Christ on the cross did with our sins, and that we would truly believe it, we'd truly accept it, we'd truly give thanks for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hallelujah. So hopefully you've got your notes. If you haven't, it doesn't matter. Remember, write down five, no more than five bullet points of what really comes out to you in this lesson, whether it be a statement or something the Holy Spirit really brings out to you through the scriptures or something that's said. And pray on those things during the week and also answer the questions at the end. It's so important that is because it helps you to ponder on the lesson. And it's not about whether the answers are right or wrong as such. It's about just pondering, chewing over what the, the Lord has shared with you in this lesson. Hallelujah. So let's get on with this lesson today. Hallelujah. Forgiveness in Christ. And let's read the introduction together if you have the notes. And the introduction says this. When you became a Christian, a whole new life started. You were completely forgiven of every sin forever. Let me just read that once more. When you became a Christian, a whole new life started. You were completely forgiven of every sin forever. Praise the Lord. And this is a really big subject in itself, really, to try and unpack in one lesson alone, but I'm going to do my best. And it's something that really bothers Christians, doesn't it? The issue of the sin problem. The issue of what we do in terms of our sins before the Lord. And it's quite interesting, really, that the whole reason for Jesus coming was to deal primarily with the sin issue. So that we wouldn't have to worry about the sin issue anymore. It's quite interesting. That's... A lot of the time as Christians and in churches and in Christendom as a whole, that's the very thing we worry about the most. And yet, according to what Christ has done and the reason why he came in the first place, it should be the very thing that we should worry about the least. And I know that can send the hairs on the back of the neck uh, high for some Christians who are listening to this, but this is so important because it's the, the very fundamental reason why Jesus came. The scriptures are clear, of course, in the book of Romans, for instance, that sin entered through Adam. Let's, for instance, I know it's not on your notes, but it's kind of fundamental to where we're going today. Romans 5 verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And this is really the, the very crux of the matter, isn't it? That through Adam's sin, we, we was born sinners. Sin entered into the world, the cosmos, the universe. Everything of God's creation has been affected by sin because of Adam. Also, everyone that's born is being infected with the sin nature because of Adam's sin, because of one man's sin. Oh, folks, it, it, it's really amazing, isn't it? That one man's sin has caused the sin debt problem. But from right from the start in Genesis, we see that God had had the answer to the problem. And he says, you know, he, as he's in the garden, of course, and he says, uh, he, he slew uh, an animal, didn't he? God did, and he made clothes for them in their nakedness. And then he talked about the seed of the woman, which is a prophecy of the virgin birth, of course, and the coming seed, which is Christ. 
So we already had in mind, of course, in the pre-arranged pre, pre plan of God, how to deal with the sin problem. The trouble is with Christians, a lot of the time, we don't believe that Jesus Christ dealt with the sin problem. We go along in our Christian walk so concerned, so worried that we're so uh, sinful that we, in effect, we're making what Christ did on the cross of non-effect. In our thinking, not in our lives, in our spirit, that's been done as believers. But in our thinking, we're kind of making what he's done of non-effect, folks. And, and, we, and we shouldn't do that. We've got to learn that Christ's work, finished work on the cross, actually worked. It actually did work. It did pay for sin and we see that of course also in even john the baptist who was the last prophet of the old covenant he even even he got it because he was in the wilderness wasn't he he spent most of his life in the wilderness away from the pharisaic teaching but when jesus arrived he knew he understood why the messiah had come he says He's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Notice John the Baptist's revelation was he comes as the Lamb, that sacrifice, to take away the sins of the world. So if the offerings in the temple and the, the lambs that was sacrificed, if that was enough to deal with sin, there would be no reason for Christ to come. But it didn't deal with sin. It only covered for 12 months the sin. And it never dealt with the sin nature that was in the man. It never dealt with the sin nature. It never dealt with that problem. It didn't deal with the death. It didn't deal with the separation from God. The scriptures are very clear that sin separates us from God. And the sin of Adam has separated the whole human race from God, 100%, absolutely. And because it separated us from God, God had to reconcile us, didn't he? And that, I think, I believe, was lesson five about reconciliation. And it's so important, folks, that Christ should come to deal with the sin problem and ultimately deal with what sin brought in, which was death, because we all have to die. And there's death spiritually, meaning separation from God, and there's death physically. And so Jesus had to deal with the sin problem, the sin nature problem, the punishment for sin problem, and also what he caused, the fruit of sin, which was death spiritually and death physically. And so it's so essential to understanding the work of Christ on the cross about concerning the forgiveness of sins, folks. John the Baptist had it right. He comes to take away the sins of the world. Did Jesus do what John the Baptist said? Yes, he did take away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Now let's just go into the scripture section on your notes here and we'll begin to track through a little bit colossians 2 verse 13 and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh have he quickened together with him that's christ having forgiven all trespasses all sins okay now we've got to understand we were dead but we were dead, we were separated from God, we was in death, exactly. But you've got to understand, supernaturally, we was with Christ. Supernaturally, we died with Christ. But we was also raised with Christ. And that's the emphasis here of Colossians 2. It's talking in the whole chapter about what Christ did and about baptism as in being baptised into his death and resurrected into his life. And that's the process that Christians have gone through. Spirit baptism. We've been baptised in Christ. We've been baptised into his death and also his resurrection. And it says we were dead in our sins. So physically, you could be alive, 
but spiritually you were at one point dead, separated from God and expecting condemnation for those sins. Now it's so interesting, folks, that when Jesus came and in the Gospels it records that Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the world. Not to condemn the world, but to give the world life to all those that believe upon me. Now, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Why? Because he says they are condemned already. I'll say that again. They're condemned already. So Jesus' message was not a one of condemnation because he says you're condemned already. Why? Because of the scripture I read in Romans. The fact is in Adam, all the world was condemned under the condemnation of the devil because of sin and the sin nature already. So when Jesus arrived, he wasn't coming to condemn. He was coming to bring no condemnation, release us from the condemnation we was under by being in him when we believe in what he did on the cross and his resurrection. So here you said you were being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, having quickened together with him, that's Christ, having or its tense, having forgiven all your trespasses. Having, past tense. It was a work on the cross, folks, and you was with Christ in his death, supernaturally. You was with him in his death, and having forgiven all your trespasses. That's so key, folks, because Jesus took upon himself all the sins of the world. Every sin you have committed in your past, present, and future was all placed on Christ, and you was in Christ in his death, folks, so that the very nature of sin would be broken from you. It would be taken from you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? So that you would no longer be in Adam and the old, but you would be in Christ and in you. And that's the new creation, folks. Praise the Lord. It's so important to understand. He has forgiven. So why do Christians go through this process of thinking that God's still not forgiven me? Or they go through that you might go through that process of Rem remembering your past sins or remembering what you've done and you feel guilty and you feel shame but folks Christ has already forgiven you you've already been forgiven of all your sins so why do you live in guilt it's almost like we God's paid the mortgage if you think of the sin debt like a mortgage on a house and someone comes along and pays the mortgage and yet you still go to the bank and still try and make payments. That would be silly, wouldn't it? And in the same way, Christians in many different ways, whether it's religious ways, whether it's prayer, reading your Bible more, giving more, service, whatever ways, fasting, whatever ways we try, we try and repay God or try and get ourselves forgiven when he's already forgiven us, folks. Hallelujah. We've just got to learn to acknowledge that, believe that he's taken it away. Praise the Lord. It says in Romans 4, 7, which was a prophecy concerning what was to come. I write uh, saying, blessed, happy, happy are those whose iniquities are forgiven and sins are covered which means covered means pardoned and he's not being brought before everybody, not being brought before God. And so he says, blessed are they that his iniquities are, are forgiven. Now, Paul is writing this saying, look, it's done in Christ. This was a prophetic statement and now it's fulfilled in Christ on the cross. You've got to understand, folks, your iniquities, your sins are forgiven. And he says, blessed are they, happy are they. So I really want you to, at this point in the lesson, really think to yourself, am I happy about my sins 
being forgiven? Or am I still bothered about my past? Am I still bothered that God is looking at my life thinking, what a great sinner you are? God doesn't look at you like that, folks. God doesn't look at you like that, and neither should you about yourself. It's not that a Christian doesn't acknowledge when they sin, when they do wrong. Of course we do. But we don't acknowledge it as the old covenant would like us to, nor the flesh would like us to, nor the devil would like us to. We acknowledge the fact, yes, we've done wrong, we put right what we can, but ultimately we don't keep paying the mortgage debt. We don't do religious things in order to get forgiven of them over and over and over and over again, like paying penance. We don't do that because Christ has forgiven us of our iniquities and our sins. And he says, blessed, we're supposed to be a happy people when it comes to the sin issue, folks. And I don't know that many Christians that are happy when it comes to the sin issue because they're too busy saying, and you might be one of them, and I've done it in the past, where we say, oh, oh sinner saved by grace. And that's great. It's true, isn't it? In a testimonial way. But a lot of the time in our thinking, we take it from just a testimony, as in I was like this, I was in sin, but then I got saved. I'm a, I was a, was a sinner, and now I'm saved by grace. But the trouble is we take it over into our now Christian walk, and we see ourselves often as these rotten, dirty sinners. And we're not, folks, because Christ has pronounced us righteous, Christ has pronounced us forgiven, and we are blessed. We're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be rejoicing. We're supposed to be declaring what he's doing. We're supposed to be a happy people that all my sins are forgiven. Praise the Lord. Before we get into the next two verses in the Bible reading, let's just take a little bit of a look at the word forgiven here. We're going to look at two words today, forgiven and forgiveness. Forgiven and forgiveness. The word forgiven here means to grant forgiveness, to pardon, to give graciously, to give freely, to bestow, to forgive. Let's just stop there for a minute. He has given forgiveness to you absolutely freely. Freely by his grace, folks. You are completely forgiven, completely sin, nature, sin's consequence, sin's penalty has been removed from the believer, folks, because you have believed on the sacrifice of Christ for sin. And this is key, folks. It was Christ's decision to die. It was Christ's decision to be raised. It was Adam's decision that got one man's decision that got us into the mess. And it's one man's decision that got us out of the mess. The man Christ Jesus, folks, the son of the living God, praise the Lord. Because his blood was the only one that could do it. Remember what I've said before, God has what's called a blood economy. He doesn't have a ritual economy. He doesn't have pray and fast to be forgiven economy. He doesn't have a uh, read your Bible 12 hours a day a, uh, to be forgiven economy. He, when it comes to sin, folks, God has always, always had a blood economy. That's the, the what pays for forgiveness. And when we understand that, we'll see how oftentimes what we do in trying to make penance to God to forgive us, even as Christians, is silly because it was never rituals that brought forgiveness. It was always a blood economy with God. And so now it's not about us making our own blood, sweating from the brow. It's not by what we do. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ that has brought freely forgiveness to us, folks. And when we understand the blood economy, we would truly realise it's Christ and Christ alone that could pay the price for the removal and the forgiveness of your sins. 
Hallelujah. And so that's why it has to be given freely. That's why it cannot be bought with your efforts, folks, because it requires sinless blood to remove your sin. I'll say that again. That's why it has to be given freely to you by faith, because you cannot do anything because blood, sinless blood, was required to remove sin. And so you ain't got sinless blood, have you? And you're a, you was a sinner, wasn't you? And the wages of sin was death, wasn't it? And Adam brought it in, didn't he? So he required a sinless sacrifice. That was Christ and Christ alone. And so as a believer, we understand that and acknowledge that. And we live that in our Christian life. Not trying to pay penance, but rather acknowledging the work of Christ. For the forgiveness of sins. The root word of this word forgiven is this, the merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon the soul turns them to Christ. So that's when we're a person who's unsaved and he basically begins to, by his mercy, by his grace, by his Holy Spirit, begin to work upon your soul, bringing you to Christ. That's his influence upon you by his Holy Spirit. Remember the scripture says, doesn't it, that no one comes to the Father, the, the Son, unless the Father draws him by his Spirit. But look at this. This is the root word again. He keeps, he strengthens, and he increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to exercise Christian virtues. So this root word forgiven has a power. So it's not just about I'm forgiven and I do what I want and I live how I want. No, listen to this very carefully. He forgives us, but he also keeps us. Are you trying to keep yourself? Are you trying to keep yourself in the faith? Are you trying to keep yourself, endure yourself? Are you trying with every effort you've got that you've been given by churchianity to keep yourself in Christ? You're kept in Christ by Christ. It also means strengthen. So this forgiveness aspect strengthens you. His influence upon your life not only brings you to Christ, not only causes you to believe, not only brings forgiveness to you, but then it keeps you. He strengthens you. So when you think, oh, I'm a weak Christian, I'm a weak Christian, I fear this, I stress about that, I'm not a good Christian because I sin because... Look, your strength comes from knowing you're forgiven. Even Peter the Apostle says, doesn't he, people stumble. They stumble because they have forgotten that their sins are forgiven them. And we must understand this, this message, this lesson of forgiveness, if you can truly understand that Christ has forgiven you all sin, it will keep you, it will strengthen your Christian walk. It will not weaken it, it will strengthen it. It says it increases them in Christian faith, knowledge and affection. So it affects our very character. This message of forgiveness of sins will cause your character and virtues in the Christian faith to just begin to flow from you, folks. Because he that is forgiven much will love much. I'll say that again. He that is forgiven much will love much. And the Christian character. So you want to be a person that exudes Christian character and Christian strength Understand you're forgiven in Christ Jesus. That's what you need to do. Not effort, understanding. Hallelujah. And he kindles them to exercise the Christian virtues. So forgiveness causes a Christian to exercise the Christian virtues. So when we talk about holiness, when we talk about living out the character of Christ, it begins at this very understanding that Christ has forgiven me. If I don't understand that Christ has truly forgiven me of all my sins, I cannot be a strong Christian. 
I cannot be, I cannot be a person that effectively and confidently exercise Christian virtue because I'm always going to be a person and you might be this kind of person right now. You will always be looking over your back. You'll always be striving to be better. And it'll be the wrong kind of striving. You'll always be looking over your shoulder thinking, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And you become so introverted in inward looking on yourself and examining every little thing and being so conscious of sin, you won't be able to exercise Christian virtues as in reflected through your life to others because you'll be too busy being looking inward all the time. And that's not what Christ wants. He wants you to be happy. Praise the Lord. So now let's go back just for a few moments to the scriptures. 1 John 2 verse 12. And it says, it's, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you. Notice again, your sins are forgiven you. For his name's sake. In other words, it's because of Christ's sake. Not your sake, because of Christ's sake. Your sins are forgiven because of what Christ has done. And you've believed it. The, the, it's like the, uh, I, I like to put it into trying modern terms to get you to un, out, out people to understand. It's like if somebody gave you a million pounds and deposited it in your account and gave you the card and the PIN number, but you never accessed the account. You could live poor, but with a million pounds in the bank. And some people in the world actually do that, don't they? They've got millions, and when they die, everybody finds out that they live poor, as poor people. And in the same way, sometimes as Christians, we can do the same, but the access to that account is faith. The access by which anybody receives uh, the appropriation of this forgiveness of sins is by believing, having faith in the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection. But then as Christians, once we've believed it, once we've accessed it, we're supposed to be happy that we have it and live that out through our lives, giving thanks to his name. But we're so worried about what, uh, what sin, uh, uh, as though sin still holds us, as though st sin still captivates us. And, we, we've, and there might be those listening to him, you think you're cursed because of sins you've committed. You feel like you've been made sick because of sins you've committed or you can't be healed because of sins committed or you can't be successful because of as though God has cursed you in such a way. And that is totally not true, folks. And I really want you to listen to me. There was a time in, in Jesus' day where the Pharisees had that very view. They believed that the sins of their parents could be brought through the womb and curse an individual. And for instance, when uh, there was a person blind, wasn't that? And the disciples had that very same view. And they said, who sinned? Because the man was born blind. Who has sinned? Was it him in the womb or was it his parents? And Jesus said, neither. And he healed the man, didn't he? Because there was that Pharisee teaching, and I'm afraid it's in the churches today, that believe you can take on curses because of the sins of your parents, because of the sins of a nation, that you have been cursed or affected or bound by the sins that run through your family line, etc. I'm saying to you right now, that is not true. It was never true. And you've got to understand that was under the law and you have never been under the law, and the law now for you as a believer is finished anyway. And the Bible says you are delivered from the curse of the law. And you've got to understand, so there's no curses coming through because of the sins of your father or your mother, your auntie or your grandfather. You're not bound by any, you might, you might have learned behaviours and act the same way. But that's not bondage through their sins. God has forgiven all your sins. In fact, you're a new creation. So how can your family line be bring curses upon you or bring bondage upon you because of sin when all your sins and the penalties 
have been forgiven you. It's absolutely not true. And Jesus actually said it was not true to them disciples, folks. He came against that Pharisaic teaching. Clearly he did. And that's why they went mad at him when the paralyzed man was also brought to him. And he says, your sins are forgiven you. Because the mentality of that man was, I've sinned and God has cursed me and therefore nobody can heal me. And Jesus had to minister to that man in his mindset first and say, look, your sins are forgiven you. Now I'm going to heal you. And, and, and you've got to understand there's many Christians who mentally are crippled because they believe they've been cursed, believe that their sins have cursed them or they can't progress because of things they have done. And it's absolutely not true. All your sins are now removed from you. This is really brought out in Ephesians 1 verse 7. It says this, In whom we have redemption through his blood, and remember the blood economy of heaven, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches, the abundance of his grace, folks. So, number one, it comes through his blood, the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, the abundance of his grace, folks. And you've got to understand that's how forgiveness comes. It's by his blood and by his grace, the abundance of his grace. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You have just received it by faith. And guess what? As a believer right now, you have received the forgiveness of all your sins. And so stop trying. Stop trying to look to your past. And you might have memories. You might have regrets. You might have to put things right with people. Absolutely. That's part of life. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We do things wrong. I, do, I, I can upset my wife. I can sin against my wife. I can upset her. And I say, sorry. And I can say sorry to God. But that doesn't mean I all of a sudden are at a different level as though God's on a swivel chair. And because I've sinned, all of a sudden he turns his back on me. No, at the cross he turned his back on Christ. And it went dark, didn't it, while he was on the cross. Midday was turned to midnight for three hours because he turned his back on his son so he wouldn't turn, so he could face us and wouldn't turn his back on us. God is not, look, he's not on a swivel chair, folks. He isn't turning his back on you because of sin. His throne is stationary. Stationary. His throne stays the same and Christ is seated next to him and you have been forgiven. So don't go through your Christian walk thinking God's on a swivel chair and he, one minute you sin and he turns his back and then you say, oh, oh, sorry, Lord, and he turns and faces you again. And then the next minute you've done something wrong and he turns his back again, you say, sorry, he turns his face to you. Folks, that's not the way the blood economy works. The blood has been shed. The price has been paid and you have received it by faith in Christ. So now let's just look at this word forgiveness and look at how powerful this is and how many of us a lot of the time don't walk in this truth. We received it in Christ, but we don't acknowledge it and walk in it. Listen to this. Release from bondage and imprisonment, forgiveness or pardon of sins. Now, this is the most powerful statement of this Greek word, forgiveness. And this is what Christ has done for you. Even the forgiveness of sins. Listen to me very carefully at the next statement I'm about to make. This is what this Greek word forgiveness means. Letting them go as if they've never been committed. Letting them go as though they have never been committed. 
And that's how God, the Father in heaven, at this very moment, folks, as a believer, if you're truly born again with a new nature inside of you and you believe the work of Jesus Christ, this is how Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit right at this moment visualize you, folks. This is the way the Trinity sees you. They have let them go as though, as though they've never been committed. So you can have a memory, but God remembers your sins no more. You can have shame and regret because of your memories, but God remembers them no more. So stop letting the accuser accuse you. Stop trying to live, relive the past, whether even that's last night, and begin now to walk in the Spirit in the freeness of what Christ has done for you. And that's the key, folks. That is the key. Believe what Christ has done. He sees your sins and he has let them go through the work of Christ as though they've never been committed. This is not denial that they was committed, but it's as though they've never been committed. And that's the way you are now to live and acknowledge your life in Christ as though they was not committed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And that's such a powerful thing. To come to Christ, you have acknowledged you as a sinner. But once you've received the forgiveness of sins and are in Christ, it is as though they was never committed. Praise the Lord. And so we acknowledge what we do, absolutely. But we've got to have a mindset that Christ has forgiven them. It also goes on, goes on to say, remission of the penalty. So not only was there a sin problem, there was a penalty problem. Remember what I said at the beginning of this lesson, that when Jesus come, he says, you're condemned already, but I have come to give you life. And, and this is the key, folks. Jesus actually did that. He has released us from the condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. He has released us from the condemnation that sin has brought. And he has given life. Life in us through his resurrection. That has happened to the believer. And if you're a believer, it's happened. It's actually happened. It actually happened, praise the Lord. So you're not to measure yourself with an up and down kind of Christianity. You're not to measure your life by thinking God's turning his back on you all the time. And then backwards and forwards and back and forwards and back and forwards. Absolutely not. You're not to live your life according to the past. You look forward now in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You're not to look at yourself as this old sinner that's still bound and imprisoned by sin. Absolutely not. Praise the Lord. So let's just go now to the explanation part on the notes. And it says this. Christians have been forgiven not only for the sins committed, but have also been released from the penalty and imprisonment that sin brought into your life the grace of God has delivered you from sin's effects sin's penalty but also sin's influence can I read that again hallelujah God has delivered you from sin's effects sin's penalty but also sin's influence upon the believer's soul God's mercy and grace now influences your soul so that your desire to sin is no longer your first desire. And you've got to trust that. Because sometimes as Christians, you can be in a place where you, because you have a desire to do certain things that can be seen, you believe that's your first desire. And so I've got a rotten, sinful heart. No, God's given you a new heart. You can feel, well, I just want to sin. Actually, you, as a Christian, don't want to sin. 
And that's why you have that conflict within you. The conflict within you when you do sin is because you're forgiven, you have a new nature, and that's conflicting with the actions of sin you want to do. And so there's the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. There's that conflict in you because it's no longer your first desire. Believe what God said. It's no longer your first desire because he's given you a new spirit and a new heart. Hallelujah. Forgiveness not only removes the influences of the sin nature, but replaces it with God's influence upon your soul by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise all. So what are we concluding? Your sins have been dealt with by Christ past present and future because all sins was placed upon him all your sins you've got to understand when christ died for your sins all sins in that respect was future wasn't they that was all future wasn't they to you some of them are now past to you some of them are now present but to you some things are future and you'll worry about them but to christ that was all future in that respect because he died 2,000 years ago. So he already knew every sin he was going to commit. And he forgave all of them. And not one of them was left out. Praise the Lord. Now let's just go. Uh, while you're thinking on these things. And how you measure yourself. By yourself. And by your religious standards. And by how you churchianity. And by the way you think. And by the way the accuser penetrates your mind at times. Let's have a look at the other scriptures. Ephesians 4 verse 32. Ephesians 4 verse 32. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's just go to that. Okay. Praise the Lord. And this is a key thing because it really reveals something. Ephesians 4 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And notice here we see forgiving, which is the believer's part in forgiving one another. That's horizontal relationship in the church. When we sin against one another or upset one another, we forgive one another. But what is our basis of our forgiveness? Because even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Not forgiving you, has forgiven you. So, the empowerment, the basis for the church to forgive one another actively, because from Sunday to Sunday we can upset one another at times, because that's family life, isn't it? So we can be forgiving one another in a horizontal relationship. Because vertically before the Lord, he has already forgiven us, pardoned us, released us from that sin debt. Hallelujah. You're no longer in debt to sin. You're no longer in debt to your past. You're no longer in debt to what you've committed and done. Because Christ has released you from that debt. People might you might not even release yourself from that debt, but Christ has already. And so the basis of our forgiving one another horizontally is that we've already been forgiven in Christ vertically. And that's what the church has got to understand. That's our motive for forgiving one another because he's already forgiven me. So I just want you to pause at this moment and give it some thought for a moment. If the church believers don't understand that we are forgiven, being forgiven in Christ, what is our foundation then to forgive others? No wonder sometimes the church finds it hard to forgive each other because we have no foundation of belief that Christ has forgiven us already. So this is empowerment. Again, people who worry that when you teach this, it brings worldliness in. No, it doesn't. It actually empowers the church to forgive one another. And I hope you can see that. What about Colossians 3, verse 13? Colossians 3, 13. Hallelujah. 
It says again, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do you. And again, we see the basis of forgiving one another based on the fact that Christ has forgave us. Again, that's Oris tense. That's past, folks. He's already done it. He has already forgiven you. So again, that empowers you in church family life to forgive others because you recognise Christ has already forgiven you. He's already released you. He's already released you from the penalty of sin so you can release your brothers and sisters in Christ from the penalty. You don't want them groveling, do you? No, you don't want them groveling. You release them because Christ has forgiven you already. Praise the Lord. And, and that's key, folks. That is key. And, and that's powerful because it is or is tense. So that's not me being forgiven by Christ, forgiven by God. I have already been forgiven. Praise the Lord. Now let's just look at Matthew 26, 28. Matthew 26, 28. Hallelujah. Matthew 26, 28. Hallelujah. And again, we see this very clearly in the new covenant aspect. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, folks. So the forgiveness comes again because of a blood covenant. Not your effort, not your striving, not your penance. Not your shame, not your groveling. It comes because of a new covenant that you are now in because of Christ's blood on which you believed. Hallelujah. You're in a new covenant. And the problem is a lot of the times we try and be forgiven through an old covenant way or a churchianity's version of it rather than Christ's blood that has already brought remission of sins, folks. Hallelujah. What about Romans 6, 11? Romans 6, 11. Hallelujah. Romans 6, 11. And this is how we are now as believers to deal with the sin issue. So I'm not saying it's okay to sin. I'm just saying there are ways under the new covenant to deal with any sins we commit to one another by forgiving one another, acknowledging what we've done wrong, of course, and saying sorry, that's family, church life, and forgiving one another. But also, in terms of our walk with the Lord, how are we to deal with sin? It says this, Likewise, reckon yourselves or you also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting the verse before in verse 10 says, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, that's Christ, in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And so we likewise, in the same way that Christ done, died once to sin, but is alive to God forevermore. Likewise, the scripture says, as a believer, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. So that word reckon is a calculation. It's like a mathematical equation. I do the math. In Christ, I was died. In Christ, I was buried. He dealt with sin on the cross. So he's dealt with my sin on the cross. I do the calculation that once and for all, because Christ died once, Likewise, I once and for all are dead to sin. Not because of me, but because of Christ. Once and for all. And I'm alive now to God. Hallelujah. I'm alive. Every day you're alive to God in Christ. Every day. You might not feel it. You might not warrant it. You might not feel it. But you, you might not think you deserve it, but you in Christ are alive to God every day. And what you must now do as a Christian is do the calculation. Christ died, I died. Christ has forgiven me, so I'm forgiven. And now I'm alive to God. 
once and for all, you do the calculation. Hallelujah. When you struggle, do the calculation. Praise the Lord. Not church's calculation, not law calculation, Christ's death and resurrection calculation. And now let's finally just turn to Hebrews 10. I know this has been a big subject really, but it's such an important subject. Romans, uh, sorry, Hebrews 10, and I suggest you read all of Hebrews 10. It's fantastic. Praise the Lord. And if you go to verse 10, because this is what really bothers Christians, doesn't it? Verse 10, by which we are sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Christ, Jesus Christ once and for all. So when it comes to your set apartness, your holiness, you've been set apart, made holy by Christ's body once and for all. And then he goes on, then every priest stands daily ministering offerings, oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. Even the sacrifices into the Mosaic law couldn't take away sins. But this man, regarding Christ here, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, and your sins are included in that forever. One sacrifice for sin sat down at the right hand of God from thenceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So Christ is not in heaven trying to figure out how to deal with your sins. He has already dealt with your sins once and for all through his once and for all sacrifice hallelujah praise the lord and and listen in verse 17 this is so powerful and their sins and iniquities i will remember no more there you go folks god is declaring under the new covenant their sins and iniquities that's yours i will remember no more because you believed in the once and for all offering of christ Folks, he remembers your sins no more and yet you remember them every day and you put yourself down because of them. And I'm not saying you should deal with sin. You should deal with sin. It will cause a great conflict. It will grieve the Holy Spirit. He wants you to live out Christ in you. Absolutely. It can cause upsettings in the church as well, amongst your believers, your family, your workplace, etc. Deal with it. But you deal with it understanding he remembers your sins no more. Reckon yourself dead to sin and let that be an empowerment knowing his spirit and his influences upon you to begin to act and live now differently. Praise the Lord. It's the very empowerment you need. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so then he goes on to say in verse 18, now where remission of these sins are, there, sorry, there is no more offering for sin. He's done it. He's completed it. It is finished, Jesus declared. So now let's just go to the apply very quickly. Begin to see yourself as truly forgiven, meaning all your sins no longer exist. Stop trying to get God to forgive you when he already has. Hallelujah. And that doesn't mean you don't sin. It just means that God has dealt with it. He has removed it. He has forgiven you. Now that's why he expects you to live differently. That's why he's empowered you by his spirit. Because of his life is in you through resurrection. Cross dealt with sin. The resurrection for his new nature and his life in you. So you can live differently now. Praise the Lord. Questions? Question one, why do you think people find it hard to see themselves as forgiven? And question two, what do you think you can do to show people God's true forgiveness? I hope you've enjoyed that fantastic lesson. I'm blessed at what Christ has done for me. Hallelujah. So until next time on Just Jesus, God bless you.